Father Stefano, the author of the next uh, conference. And I should note there's a connection between our first two conferences. They trace the context for the thought, the reflection of SCOTUS. First, uh, we note, as it were, as it were, the consequences of the tradition inaugurated by SCOTUS, SCOTUS in the person and the thought uh, of a saint of our times. And the second paper by a German Franciscan scholar, Father Johannes Schneider, we note as were the origins of this tradition in none other than St. Francis, or the priest, scotistic uh, reflections uh, of uh, the little uh, uh, Pavarello, the one who called himself an idiot, but in fact is one of the greatest uh, geniuses philosophically as well as theologically have walked the face of the earth. So that was a gift of, a, a gift of God. So now without further delay, Father Stefano, please. Oh, no, you have to feel any, you have to answer all the questions. Well, he's already reading. The reader in the center is better. Uh, just a preliminary note of explanation regarding the, my oral presentation. The handout that you've received is a complete and faithful literal translation from Father Stefano's original Italian text. However, because of our time limit, uh, some parts had to be excluded from the oral presentation, and I will indicate when we skip over certain sections. And also, uh, to ensure that we cover all the most important aspects of uh, Father Stefano's work, I've modified and condensed some parts, so there will be some deviations from what's printed, but I don't think you'll have any problem following along, and later you can return to parts that we omit. The development of Scotistic Mariology in the Mariology of St. Maximilian Mary Colby. Blessed John Dun Scotus, regarded as the Dr. Ordinis of Franciscans, left as a heritage to the Church his Mariological doctrine, truly a precious pearl of inestimable value for its most profound understanding of the ineffable mystery of the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God and our Mother. The influence of Scotus's Mariological thought has been great. This is particularly the case with respect to the doctrine and spirituality of the seraphic order, from its beginnings down to our day, apparent in an ever-increasing crescendo of studies of monumental proportions, 
especially in the 15th through the 17th centuries. And the fruitfulness of his influence has become manifest and luminous in our times, particularly in the development of the Mariological thought of St. Maximilian Mericolbe, another great Franciscan friar and apostle and martyr of the Immaculate in the 20th century. We shall methodically and concisely describe the development of the Mariological thought of Blessed John Duns Scotus in that of St. Maximilian Mericolbe by first reflecting upon the originality of the Mariology of Blessed John Duns Scotus and on the heights it attained in the field of research into and study of the mystery of Mary. We will then pass on to examine the ways in which Blessed John's thought was developed in the Mariological speculation of St. Maximilian Mary Kolbe. The Mariological Thought of Blessed John Duns Scotus The fundamental concepts of the perennial Mariology composing the Church's patrimony of faith in the mystery of Mary Most Holy are present and integral in the orderly doctrine, doctrinal teaching of Blessed John Duns Scotus, the Marian doctor, an admirable master of Marian spirituality and devotion for Franciscans. Mary's transcendence, revealed in the truths of the faith consisting her ineffable mystery, is set in noble and luminous relief in the writings of Blessed John Duns Scotus on the person and the mission, on the being and activities of the gratia plena or the full of grace. Mary is at the summit of her ineffable grace and sublime glory, the most holy mother of God. In other words, she alone attained the supreme fullness of grace to which by divine disposition she had to attain. Moreover, Mary, as a result of her most perfect predisposition for the divine maternity, possessed the grace of the vow or intention of perpetual virginity, a vow or intention made with unshakable will, absolutely and in complete accord with St. Joseph. Also particularly exceptional in Mary is that purity and virginal modesty which make her a sublime example to women. Set at the human divine summit of femininity, she surpasses all of them. Mary's ardent charity toward God and creatures is still greater and more dynamic. One must truly confess that no heavenly or earthly creature has ever loved God and creatures, nor will ever love them like Mary. The teaching of Blessed John Duns Scotus on the mystery of Mary's assumption, body and soul into heaven, is that of the great tradition on her death and resurrection, paralleling the fulfillment of the saving plan in Christ, gloriously risen after his redeeming death. On the merits of the Blessed Virgin Mary, so extraordinary that they obtained an anticipation of the redeeming incarnation of the Word, Blessed John Duns Scotus writes clearly and profoundly, specifying how Mary Most Holy efficaciously merited also in all that she suffered during her life on earth. Finally, the doctrine of Blessed John Duns Scotus is clear and precise regarding the veneration, or more precisely, hyperdulia, owed to the Blessed Virgin Mary, which rests on Mary's dignity and grandeur, surpassing that of all the angels and saints, and deriving from her two sublime privileges, her fullness of grace 
and the divine maternity. Eminent points of Scotistic doctrine. Blessed Scotus's Mariological teaching in, moves along three lines of doctrinal development, reaching such lofty heights of thought as to merit him the titles of Marian Doctor and more specifically, Doctor of the Immaculate. These are the three high points of his theological Mariological teaching. The absolute predestination of the Incarnation, the Immaculate Conception, and the Divine Maternity. In the next few pages, Father Stefano explains in summary the fundamental aspects of these eminent points in Scotus's Mariology. In consideration of the time constraint, however, and given that these points will, move, will be examined in depth in some of the other conferences, let's move forward now to see how St. Maximilian further develops these fundamental points established by Blessed John Duns Scotus. Please turn with me to page five of the handout to the section entitled Mariological Thought of St. Maximilian Mary Colby. If the above concise synthesis, which you may read later at your leisure, which we've just skipped, if this concise synthesis represents the framework of Blessed John Duns Scotus's Mariology, we should immediately add that this framework constitutes the basis for the nearly seven centuries long tradition of the Scotistic school, a truly enviable treasure because of the vastness of work and depth of doctrine articulated in studies and treatises on Marian theology. It is also within this framework that St. Maximilian Mary worked and worked well in order to develop Mariology further, raising it to greater heights of perfection in terms of content and value, not only on the doctrinal level, but also and above all on the spiritual, mystical level. He also did much to translate this doctrine and spirituality into religious and apostolic praxis. In effect, a continuity in development has been realized between Blessed John Duns Scotus and St. Maximilian Mary Colby. Not just any continuity, but a continuity in development of reflection and in-depth study of both theological and pastoral Mariology. It is a development both on the speculative as well as operative level, ascetical, mystical, as well as devotional. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy, united together, are always a solid guarantee of the one and true perennial theology. Certainly in Blessed John and Scotus, we admire the incomparable subtle doctor with his extraordinary capacity to analyze deeply and at the same time to rise to ever greater heights of philosophical and theological speculation that know how to grasp and defend with great acumen the truths about God, man, this world, and the next. From the theological chairs at the universities of Oxford, Paris, and Cologne, Blessed John Duns Scotus shed light on the mystery of Mary Most Holy, a most intense light that shines up to the present day. So illuminating are his doctrine that as Father Cignelli justly writes, we can consider him without exaggeration the father of modern Mariology. St. Maximilian Mary Kolbe, on the other hand, learned at the school of Blessed John Duns Scotus 
how to elaborate certain more fundamental points of Scotistic Mariology, specifically with regard to the mystery of the Immaculate Conception. In this work, he had recourse in toto, it, one might say, and on a wide-ranging scale to the Scotistic principle, if it is not incompatible with authority of the Church and to the authority of Scripture, it seems fitting then to attribute to Mary that which is most excellent. His development, however, is not aimed at the production of theological, scholastic, or academic treatises, nor is it on the level of lofty philosophical theological speculation. Rather, it must be understood as doctrinal research aimed at the glorification of the Immaculate. It is on the level of Marian spiritual theology, and above all, of Marian spirituality, always in view of the promotion of a zealous devotional and preaching apostolate, together with the evangelization of the peoples in mission lands. In recalling the famous dispute at the Sorbonne of Paris, where Blessed John and Scotus had to face the entire academic body of the university to defend the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, one cannot help being struck by the prayer Blessed John and Scotus directed to our Blessed Lady before entering the lecture hall. Pausing in front of a statue of the Immaculate, he offered this prayer, Dignare me laudare te, Virgo Sacrata, da mihi virtutum contra hostis tuas. Allow me to praise you, O most holy virgin. Give me strength against your enemies. In this brief and ardent prayer antiphon, we discern at once Blessed John Scotus's passionate desire to defend the truth of the Immaculate Conception of Mary, praising and glorifying her before the great Paris masters. This praise and glory of Mary depends upon the affirmation of her preservation from sin. And Blessed John Scotus obtained the grace of victoriously upholding the dogmatic truth of the Immaculate Conception, all to the praise and glory of the Divine Mother. So then, it is easy to admit that for St. Maximilian Kolbe, this Marian prayer antiphon served as the basis of his study of the mystery of the Immaculate Conception. More than that, it served as the launching pad of his fervent and magnificent Marian apostolate of planetary scope, crowned in the end by his martyrdom of charity in the Auschwitz death bunker. Here too it can be said that the continuity in development between Blessed Scotus and St. Maximilian is always present, both in Mariological doctrine as well as in the praxis of praising and blessing the Immaculate. Blessed Scotus had to struggle against the theologians of the Sorbonne, whereas St. Maximilian is opposed to many minimalist theologians of our time. The Immaculate Conception in a Positive Light St. Maximilian's great step forward with the Mariology of Scotus is immediately evident with regard to the Immaculate Conception. If we consider that to defend the Immaculate Conception, Blessed John Duns Scotus had to focus his attention on eliminating the presence of original sin in the act of the conception of Mary. It is easy to understand that his doctrinal teaching primarily concerned itself with the negative aspect of the truth of the Immaculate Conception. The very word immaculate means without spot. 
which when applied to Mary means that the conception of Mary came about without any contraction of original sin. In explaining the mystery of Mary's conception, Blessed John Duns Scotus thought Blessed John Duns Scotus's thought is focused on the reality of the preservation from the con contraction of original sin, presenting a preservation so radical and perfect as to render Mary free also of any debt of sin. Thus it is because ab eterno and thus ante previsionem peccati, she was predestined uno eodemque decreto to the maternity of the Word incarnate, in whom all things in heaven and on earth have been made, and therefore from whom the whole divine work of creation proceeds and depends. While basing himself on the scotistic doctrine of the radical and perfect absence of every stain in the conception of Mary, St. Maximilian focused upon the positive aspect of the Immaculate Conception. This aspect cons consists in her fullness of grace, which finds its proper interpretation in the radical absence of original sin and in direct opposition to the total absence of sin in her. At the Annunciation, in fact, the Virgin Mary was greeted and almost sculpted by the words of the Archangel Gabriel, Grazia Plena. These two words, in fact, present a fullness of grace which could be said to be constituent with regard to Mary's being from the first moment of her conception, precisely because she was already predestined ab eterno from all eternity to be the mother of the Word incarnate, uno eodemque decreto, in one and the same decree, with her son. And this fullness of grace in Mary, post previsionem peccati, before any consideration of sin, was guaranteed by the preservative redemption, the work of Christ as most perfect redeemer, according to the teaching of blessed Scotus. The negative semantic connotation of the word immaculate, without stain, finds a positive formulation in the Latin translation, full of grace, in Greek, kekaritomene, or in English, fullness of grace. The Immaculate Conception is none other than she in whom, at the moment of conception, is manifested the presence, not of original stain, but of the fullness of grace. One could say, with reason, therefore, that in the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, original immaculateness is realized in its origins at the very moment of conception as fullness of grace. Hence one can easily grasp that if grace is the divine life by which man with baptism becomes the consors divine nature, it follows that the expression gratia plena finds an equivalent in the form full of divine life or full of God. That is why after he spoke the words full of grace, the archangel Gabriel added, the Lord is with you. And if, as we know, God is love, Deus caritas est, in his being and operation, then consequently, the expression gratia plena and dominus tecum must necessarily include in them the equivalent expressions of full of love and love is with you. Finally, we know equally well that the most perfect and complete realization of love in the present divine economy 
of the redeeming incarnation is sacrificial love, the love of self-immolation. Jesus himself expressly said that the greatest love is seraphic love, that is, love spurred onto the point of martyrdom for others. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In the final analysis, this means that the expression full of grace, insofar as it signals full of love, must consequently require in Mary the assumption of a sacrificial, self-immolating love for others. Cannot therefore the prophecy of the sword that passes through Mary's soul intend to present from the very start of Mary's motherhood her realization of the greatest love, making her the co-redemptrix mother, that is, the universal co-redemptrix of all creatures in need of salvation? The mystery of the Immaculate Conception, therefore, must be understood also in its soteriological, that is, salvational completeness. Therefore, the absence of all sin in Mary reveals also the fullness of the unlimited divine love in her, a superabundant divine love magnified in her to the point of immolation of her soul, pierced by the sword of redemptive sorrow. The negative aspect, then, of the mystery of the Immaculate Conception refers to the radical character of original sin and to Mary's freedom from every sin, both original and actual. This aspect is clearly evidenced in the dogmatic definition and explained from a scotistic standpoint as the preservation from the contraction of original sin by the work of the Most Perfect Redeemer. The positive aspect of the mystery of the Immaculate Conception is the fullness of grace, the fullness of divine life taken to the extreme limit of self-donation as martyr. This aspect is equally put into evidence in the solemn dogmatic definition as page after page of the papal bull Ineffabilis Deus confirms. With greater simplicity, then, we can summarize everything by saying that the original immaculateness in Mary consists simultaneously a radical, in a radical character and an original fullness, that is, the radical character of the absence of sin and the fullness of the presence of divine grace. It is above all because of this fullness of divine grace that Mary Immaculate has been proclaimed Panagia, the All-Holy, by the Fathers of the Church and by the Liturgy. The Immaculate, therefore, is first and foremost the All-Holy, full of divine love in the giving of herself to the Lord, realizing the most intimate and sublime, divinely fruitful union of divine love. St. Maximilian writes that this love of God atta attains such heights that it produces divine fruits of love to the point that she becomes the mother of God. The Essence of Mary Immaculate Immaculateness. According to St. Maximilian Mary Colby, one can and must include the whole personal being of Mary, the All-Holy, in the Immaculate Conception. Accordingly, in her, by the pure and supreme gift of God the Creator, the Immaculate Conception is a connatural, dynamic reality. That is, it isn't some accidental quality, but constitutes part of her very nature. Therefore, Immaculate Mary is, among creatures, the most perfect 
and has, and has been elevated above every other and is a divine creature in an, an, in, an ineffa ineffable way. Excuse me. Reflecting on the conception of the descendants of Adam and comparing these human conceptions to that of Mary Most Holy, Saint Maximilian rightly affirms the singular unicity of the conception of Mary with respect to every other human person conceived. For the fact that personal creatures are a conception stained, however, by sin. Only she, Mary, is not conceived, but conception, and still more immaculate. More important still is St. Maximilian's reflection on the constitutive richness of interpreting the name of Mary as immaculate conception and the design of creatures willed by God. The value of the name Immaculate is so great that it is pervaded with mystery. This name, writes St. Maximilian, contains many other mysteries that with time will be revealed. It shows that the Immaculate Conception pertains in a certain way to the essence of the Immaculate. He writes more explicitly, she is Immaculateness itself. In addition, the Immaculate Conception consists in a strict union of love with the mystery of the redemptive incarnation from the moment that the Virgin Mary, ab eterno, elected ante previsionum peccati, that is, from all eternity and before any, before any consideration of sin, according to the well-known Franciscan thesis of the great Scotistic school, was predestined by God the Father uno eodemque decreto, with the incarnation of the Word. This is why, as St. Maximilian writes, from the first moment of her conception, she was always full of grace, and God was always with her to the point that she became the mother of the Son of God. One could truly say that the Immaculate Conception and the incarnation of the Word, ab initio et abu ab intus, comprise the heart and subject of the whole design of creative saving love of the Most Holy Trinity. In the order of execution, as is evident, it is the Immaculate Conception that is at the origin of the Incarnation, according to the one and triune God's design of love. Saint Maximilian affirms as much with this splendid thought. In the countless number of possible beings that reproduce his various perfections, God also saw from all eternity a perfect being in every way, uncontaminated by any stain of sin, and that reflected his divine attributes as faithfully as is possible for a created being. He delighted in this prospect and decided from all eternity to call this being into existence at a determined time. Immediately after, in the same writing, St. Maximilian presents the Franciscan thesis, describing the trial to which God subjected Mary, this all-holy creature, to be venerated as Mother of God and Queen of Paradise. The outcome of the trial was the joy and exultation of innumerable ranks of angelic spirits, and the defection of a group of angels led by Lucifer, precipitated into hell forever. In another of his writings, St. Maximilian presents the Immaculate with equally sublime words. 
affirming that she is the most perfect likeness of the divine being in a purely human creature. She is therefore a creature of God, the property of God, the likeness of God and daughter of God, and in the most perfect way possible to a merely human being. She is God's instrument. With full awareness, she allows herself to be led by God. She conforms herself to his will. She desired only what he wants. She acts according to his will in the most perfect way possible, without the least defect, without any deviation of her will from his will. Her union of love with God reaches to the point that she becomes the mother of God. The father entrusts his son to her. The son descends into her womb, while the Holy Spirit forms from her body the most holy body of Jesus. The expression that the Immaculate Conception in its being and operation is at the origin of the design of the one and triune God, together with St. Maximilian's other expression, that the Immaculate Conception pertains in some way to the essence of the Immaculate, is at the foundation of that thesis which considers the Immaculate Conception as the first principle of, Mary, of dogmatic Mariology. The symbiosis and synergy between the Immaculate Conception and the creative saving design of love of the Most Holy Trinity strikingly and justly sustain this thesis, one nevertheless calling for further indispensable research. St. Maximilian also wrote that although the dignity of the divine maternity furnishes the principal reason of all her privileges, nevertheless, the first grace that she received from God is her immaculate conception. Because of this grace, God loved her, and therefore Jesus, the man-God, the Son of God, and Son of Man is born. Therefore, every likeness of the sons of God and of men, every likeness of the members of Jesus, have their origin in her. Again, at this point, I would like to ask you to skip ahead to, to assure that we're able to hear the most important and original aspects of Father Stefano's article. Please go to the bottom of the next page and conclusion of this section. That's the bottom of page 11. The Immaculate, therefore, in her mystery of divine holiness and beauty, is truly nothing of sin in her origin, while instead she is evermore in nobility and exquisiteness, the all-holy, the unlimited fullness of grace, that is, the fullness of love, to the full and perfect crowning of God's creative, saving design of love. The Immaculate, the Spouse of the Holy Spirit. Reflecting on the relationship between the Immaculate and the Holy Spirit, St. Maximilian, following the Trinitarian exemplarism that governs all of creation in the universe, takes as his starting point a question and answer about the Holy Spirit in direct, in direct relation with the Immaculate Conception. St. Maximilian asks, Who is the Holy Spirit? And answers, It is the fruit of the love of the Father and the Son. Building on this question and answer, the saint then makes the following reasoning. The fruit of created love is a created conception. Therefore, the fruit of love, of the prototype of this creative love, is none other than a conception. The spirit, therefore, is an uncreated, eternal conception, 
It is the prototype of every other conception of life in the universe. The Spirit, therefore, is a most holy, infinitely holy, immaculate conception. As can be easily seen, the term conception, applied to the intra-Trinitarian procession of the Holy Spirit, becomes almost a synonym or an identical term with the classical term of spiration. In a quasi-effort to make more accessible to the human intellect, that intra-Trinitarian procession in which the Father and Son together spirate the Holy Spirit, fruit and synthesis of their being, eternal and infinite love. And the Immaculate, who instead is she? She is a human creature, and as such she is a created conception, as are all other human creatures. And yet, writes St. Maximilian, addressing himself to the person of the Immaculate, you are different from them, because their conceptions contaminated by original sin, while you are the only Immaculate conception. Because she is an Immaculate Conception, Mary Most Holy differs from all other human creatures who are all stained by who are all stained conceptions by the fault of their origins, whereas she, without stain, in her conception, is assimilated to the Holy Spirit, who is the who is the Immaculate Conception. The difference with the Holy Spirit, however, is given by the fact that the Immaculate Conception of the Holy Spirit is, in addition to being infinitely holy, an uncreated and eternal conception of a divine person, whereas the Immaculate Conception of Mary is only a created conception of a human person. The difference between the Holy Spirit and the Immaculate Conception is therefore substantial, but the transcendent exemplarism of the One, the Holy Spirit, to the Other, the Immaculate, is well safeguarded, as read in this luminous passage of St. Maximilian, who states, This uncreated, immaculate conception, the Holy Spirit, immaculately conceives the divine life, that is, his immaculate conception, in the womb of Mary's soul. With this ultimate affirmation, one can go so far as to say, with St. Maximilian, that the Immaculate is the Holy Spirit in a certain sense incarnate. Or better, the created Immaculate Conception, Mary, is the quasi-incarnation of the uncreated Immaculate Conception, the Holy Spirit. To the question, in what consists this life of the Holy Spirit in the Immaculate, St. Maximilian replies, He is love in her, the love of the Father and the Son, the love with which God loves himself, the love of the whole trinity, fruitful love, conception. A bit further on, St. Maximilian explains it again with this luminous thought. In the union of the Holy Spirit with her, not only does love unite these two beings, but the first one, the Holy Spirit, is all the love of the most holy trinity, while the second, the Immaculate, is all the love of creation. Therefore, in this union, heaven and earth are united, the whole of heaven with the whole earth, the entire uncreated love with the entire created love. It is the height of love. But the union of ineffable love between the Holy Spirit and the Immaculate 
in reference also to the definition that the Immaculate gave of herself at Lourdes, I am the Immaculate Conception, is decisively configured, according to St. Maximilian, as a union of spousal love for the incarnation of the Word, worked by the Holy Spirit in Mary's virginal womb. By this work of the incarnation of the Word, according to God's designs of love, St. Maximilian affirms that from the first moment of Mary's existence, the giver of graces, the Holy Spirit, established his dwelling in her soul, taking absolute possession of it. He penetrated her so entirely that the name of spouse of the Holy Spirit does not express but a faint, pallid, imperfect, though true shadow of this union. In the spousal union between the Holy Spirit and the Immaculate, St. Maximilian, at the school of St. Louis-Marie Grignon de Montfort, grasps the mystery of the divine fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit. He therefore relates the thought of the French saint. The Holy Spirit, who is unfruitful within the Trinity because no divine person proceeds from him, became fruitful by Mary, whom he has chosen as his spouse. It was with her, in her, and of her, that he produced his masterpiece, which is the Word incarnate. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Luke 1.35 St. Maximilian, therefore, introduces precious lines of thought on the reality of the divine espousal between the Holy Spirit and the Immaculate Conception, which would be further developed on the level of Trinitarian theology and in particular, in, in particular of pneumatology in relation to Mariology. From the intimate and ineffable personal union between the Holy Spirit and the Immaculate, St. Maximilian ascends to the consideration of the Immaculate as the complementum trinitatis, and as a quasi-part of the Trinity, as well as considerations of the uncreated and created conception and Marian mediation. The concatenation ab intus of these supernal graces can be understood, writes Father Peter Damien Fellner, considering attentively the central pneumatological insight of St. Maximilian, a, a created quasi-part of the Trinity, is such because complementum of the Trinity, complement because spouse of the Holy Spirit, spouse because created immaculate conception, a name shared uniquely with the Holy Spirit. Of particular importance for the mission in God's design is the fruitfulness of the divine espousal of the immaculate with the Holy Spirit as origin of her universal mediation, with the annexed power of mediatrix and distributrix of all graces for the redemption and sanctification of all souls. This is how the celebrated antiphon of the seraphic father, St. Francis of Assisi, can be explained, an antiphon that presents the daughter and handmaid of the father as immaculate, the mother of the Redeemer, son, the mother of the Redeemer's son as co-redemptrix, the spouse of the Holy Spirit as universal mediatrix. The Immaculate Theological-Mystical Dimension The spiritual theological-mystical dimension 
of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception represents, it must be said, a step forward in the development of the Colby and Mariological doctrine and of the consequent apostolic pastoral praxis with regard to the Mariological doctrine of Blessed John Duns Scotus. This development centers around one specific element, total consecration to the Immaculate. By means of this act, every man can enter into the most personal participation in the very mystery of the Immaculate, in which, as the Seraphic Father St. Francis taught, the plenitudo gratiae et omne bonum is found. Working out this passage in the theological mystical dimension from orthodoxy to orthopraxis of the truth of the Immaculate Conception, lived out by every man through unlimited consecration, has been the greatest contribution St. Maximilian left us as heritage to the Church and to the Seraphic Order. In founding the great movement of the Militia of the Immaculata and of the Cities of the Immaculate in Poland and Japan, with plans of future foundations of Cities of the Immaculate all over the world, St. Maximilian left us the breeding ground of life totally consecrated to the Immaculate, a Marianized life understood in its broadest spiritual dimension, both on the theological, mystical, and on the apostolic pastoral levels. Scotistic Mariology, the foundation of St. Maximilian's edifice, is rooted in the absolute primacy of Christ in Mary for the accomplishment of the divine plan of the creative and redeeming incarnation. The entire heavenly and earthly universe, that is, was thought, willed, created, and redeemed by God through Christ, through the Word incarnate, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit from the virgin, ever-Virgin Mary, born of her, raised and formed by her, up to the completion of the great mission in which she shared. It is upon this unshakable foundation that St. Maximilian built his theological, mystical, and apostolic pastoral structure of life, raised to the supreme level of Christian Marian life to achieve holiness in the easiest and most sublime manner, the same holiness of the Immaculate, the absolute height of perfection, shared by her with every angelic and human person. Please skip ahead now to the conclusion, which you find on page 24. On the rock-solid basis of Scotistic Mariology and its doctrine of Mary's preservation from original and actual sin, St. Maximilian has erected the structure of a Marianized Christian life which stretches to its loftiest heights. This is a Christian life nourished by Marian devotion and transfigured into consecration to the Immaculate, elevated by transubstantiation into the Immaculate, and finally crowned by the most perfect Christification, that of the Immaculate, Mother of Christ, her firstborn, and mother of his many brothers. To know the inexpressible mystery of the Immaculate Conception in its original immaculateness, the fullness of grace, to explore it more profoundly, to love and live by it, to become immersed in it to the point of being transubstantiated into the Immaculate. This is the spiritual itinerary whose goal 
is a supreme and peerless perfection. It is the perfection of the very Christification of the Immaculate Conception, of she who is the mother of Jesus Christ, of she who is the height of love supernaturally espoused to the Holy Spirit. On the basis of the sublime scotistic doctrine of the absolute primacy of Christ and Mary, St. Maximilian deepened understanding of the mystery of the Immaculate Conception, particularly with regard to its supernatural intra-Trinitarian aspect. Thus the Immaculate for St. Maximilian is the complementum trinitatis, a quasi-part of the Trinity, the spouse of the Holy Spirit, the created Immaculate Conception of the uncreated Immaculate Conception. Finally, she is the ever-Virgin Mother of Christ, the co-redemptrix mother of his mystical body, the mediatrix of all graces for the salvation and sanctification of all creatures. And all of this is why the Immaculate, Ab Eterno, was predestined uno eodemque decreto with the Word incarnate, the one universal Savior and Redeemer. Okay, to the last paragraph. Let us conclude our present study with this simple yet ardent and sublime thought of St. Maximilian Mary Colby. Writing to one of his friars, therefore we believe to each one of us, he says, Dear son, let us always love the Immaculate more every day. On this point there is no limit, nor can there be. While she purifies our hearts from naturalism and transforms us into herself, Devotion to the Immaculate is a secret that many still do not know and practice only superficially, whereas by the will of God it is the very essence of holiness. What we have said in this study about St. Maximilian's doctrine allows us to better understand true devotion to the Immaculate, lived in its totality and fidelity as unlimited consecration to the Immaculate, and even more as the vow of unlimited consecration by the will of God, it is the very essence of holiness. Father Stefano, Maria Minnelli.